0: <clears throat> we're trying to to discuss and talk about and get to that place where it maybe not practical in the sense of human practicality but we I don't know about you but I don't want to be going on about doing stuff in the kingdom that's got nothing to do with the kingdom it's all out of this little pea brain of mine that that maybe God didn't even tell me to do I want to be totally connected to him. If he said that without me you can do nothing, that, that that's what that means. Without him we can do nothing. So I'm, you know, the branch has to be connected to the vine. If you disconnect a branch from that tree out there and lay it on the ground, it, it might look like it's alive for a little while, but pretty soon all the leaves are going to start turning brown that and all the life is going to come out of that branch. And it's just going to be a piece of dead wood laying there on the ground. <clears throat> so we got to stay connected to him. Amen. He has the life-giving flow. He's got everything that we need and you know, he those those guys in the Bible that those those disciples in the New Testament, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have a book, a Bible to read. They Most of them didn't even have the scriptures at their in their hand all the time. Those were kept in a in a special place. And so, how did they how did they minister? How did they preach? How did they how did they know what to say? Where to go and what to do? Who to say it to? They had to trust God. They had to trust that spirit that had just been put in them. They had to believe that the things that they were hearing in their mind was God directing them. When, when God told Paul, no, don't go to this city, I need you to go over to this city. And he would give him a vision that had a man saying, come help us in Macedonia. So they had to trust God for everything that they said. Peter on the day of Pentecost. He didn't pull out his notebook like I just did and unzip it and open it up and lay it on a pulpit and start preaching. He didn't do that. He didn't have no clue, I don't believe, that's just me, what he was going to say. He just opened his mouth and it just started flowing out. And that's why it had such a profound effect on that group and that crowd of people there that day. Because it was straight from the voice of God. And all that man was doing was just flowing. Just whatever he heard in his brain, he just said it. And it had an impact. And <clears throat> so we're talking about practical religion today. James one twenty six and 27, our key scripture throughout this, this lesson for these last uh, few Sundays that we've been talking about this, it goes uh, like this. If any man among you seem to be religious... And bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself or themselves unspotted from the world. Amen. And so God didn't deliver us out of... The mess that we were in for us to go right back to that you know like that scripture that talks about the dog or to his own vomit it's kind of gross but that's what he was trying to say i didn't deliver you out of your mess for you to go back into your mess i I, you're going to live a new life now you're going to think different you're going to act different and and with me that didn't all come right away didn't just it didn't just happen i didn't Get the Holy Ghost on a Friday and and come Monday I was I I was a different creature, but but God worked on me for a while. He 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 let me listen for His voice tell me to let go of stuff. But after a while, as He worked on me, I, I found it easier to just lay some stuff down and say, "Oh, I okay, okay, I see. I I gotta lay that down. I quit gotta quit doing that." And God worked on me. And really, he's still working on me. I think somebody wrote a song like that. <laughs> working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, gun in the moon and your Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be <laughs> Right? Think about yourself for a minute. <laughs> that that part of that song probably rings more true with me than any other part of it. How loving and patient he must be. Cause he's still working on me. I'm still on the wheel. Just like you're still on the wheel. Going round and round and round. He's still putting his thumb there and getting all those rough places out of us. Right? We're, like somebody said at this prayer conference, we're just old, what did he say? Not clay pots. Cracked pots. <laughs> We are. We're old clay pots. And so we need him today. And so our religion, if you want to put it that way, has to be based on the principles and the precepts that he gave us, that he passed on to his disciples, who passed it on to the next group, who passed it on to the next group, who passed it on to the next group, and here we are. And it's all been passed down, and so we maintain that. We keep that ball rolling, if you will. Amen? Not by our religious practices necessarily, but by our daily commitment in our walk. Amen? So I don't want to seem to be religious to people. I don't want to just... I want people to, when they look at me, I don't want them to see Vince. I want them to see Jesus. I want them to say to themselves, I don't know what it is about that guy. You should desire this too. I don't know what it is about her, but there's just something. And it's just, I can't put my finger on it. But if I could put my finger on if I could just know, and that just drives people to finally come and ask you, what is it? And I want that. I don't know about you. I desire that. I want them to come and ask me that. I want to know that I'm living a life that is so like Jesus that that it just confounds people, and they want to come and find out what is it about you that's so different. You know, they're looking at—is it your hair? Is it the way you drip They're—they're not even understanding that it's a spiritual thing, right? And so I don't want to seem religious. I want to—I don't want to be religious. If you want to. In the terminology of our modern day, that word religious, I want to be like him. Because everywhere Jesus went, if you read about Jesus, everywhere he went, there was just something about him that just just had an effect on people before he ever opened his mouth. Right? Because when you're living a life that's free from sin, and you're living a life where you're walking In a relationship with your father, guess who you're going to look like? Guess who you're going to sound like? Guess who you're going to act like? Right? I I was sitting with Brother Walters and his granddaughter Saturday, Saturday morning, and I didn't know that it was his granddaughter, and I didn't know who her daddy was. But then her daddy sat down there, and I've known him, around the district and he's our men's coordinator men's leader and so the more i watched her the more i realized that's she's her daddy's daughter because <laughs> she just looked she looked like her daddy she acted like her. Daddy. and i said to myself i said the fruit don't fall far from the tree because she's why is she like that this i don't need this is not even on my paper She's like that because she's been hanging around her daddy. She goes and hangs out with her daddy in the garage when he's doing stuff. And she goes and and hangs out with her daddy. And so who's she going to be like? She probably has some characters, characteristics about her that are like her mama. But she tends toward her daddy. So don't we want to be like that? I want to reflect my father. Don't you? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let that sit and simmer for a second. So we're gonna kind of jump into this lesson. We're in, we're down in part two, and um, kind of as a, a preliminary in James chapter one, the epistle or the letter of encouragement from James. James, that's what the, the book of James is. It's a letter that James was he was he was on death's door because of what he was doing preaching the gospel, he was about to be put to death. And so he was writing to those those members of that group, that church, the body of Christ, that were that were still continuing to to do the work of God and to go from house to house, breaking bread and having fellowship together and having favor with all the people, just like it was in the original day of the book of Acts. The the original church. And so they were doing all this. And so he's sending them this letter of encouragement to help them stay on track. I mean, he knows that we gotta, sometimes we gotta have somebody, we need some help to stay on track. Right? So like at work, I'm having to write my own self evaluation. That's part of the process. And so why do they have you do that? Why do you have an evaluation? Anybody ever worked at a job where you didn't have an evaluation? Why do they do that? There's a lot of reasons why they do that. But in my opinion, it's to help you stay on track. To help you see maybe where you might be getting off the track a little bit so they can help you get back on the track. And it, it helps, I think, for to be able to write my own evaluation. About myself. It makes me look at myself as a technician and as all these, these different areas that I have to look at. Right? And so that's what James was doing in my estimation. James was, he was helping them to kind of stay focused on what was most important. Don't get distracted with all this other stuff that's, cause there was stuff that was coming at the church that day that was trying to Get them distracted away from their what their focus was supposed to be. You know, the Jews were trying to to draw them back into Judaism, and all these kind of things were going on. There were there were wolves in sheep's clothing, if you will, that were trying to come in and disrupt what Jesus had left them with. Right. So, really, James chapter one focuses on trying. The trying of our faith, the enduring the things that God allows in our lives. You mean God allows those things in our lives? He sure does. He allows trials. He allows, He allows us to be tested. If He doesn't do that in your, your life, then He's got to go apologize to Job and Joseph and Moses and Abraham and all these people that He tried and tested their faith and their love for Him. And so he's going to do that for us. And so the book of James chapter one is kind of, he's kind of rehashing a lot of that stuff. You're going to, he's telling them you're going to have trials and tests and you're going to have some things. And and the Lord's testing you. Just hang in there. Just stick to it. Stick to what you know is real and true in your life. Now you might, and you and I might know, not know a lot of scripture, but I'll tell you what we do know. That we have an experience with God. There is no denying that I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There is no denying in my life that something changed when I came out of that water in baptism in Jesus' name. Something was different. I can't can't really explain it to you to this day. But something was different. And so we've got that. We've got that testimony we need to maintain that we need to hold on to that and not lose that in our lesson we discussed being careful about how we hear careful about how we hear about through what through what uh, filter are you hearing are you hearing it through the filter of your own mind or are you letting what you hear being filtered through the word of god and and letting the filter of the Word of God determine if this is valid or not. we got to be careful. That's what he was telling the church. Don't let a bunch of unnecessary, unimportant, irrelevant things creep into your mindset and your thought pattern. Right? Amen. Because in one place in the Bible it says that the things of God are only spiritually discerned we can't discern them with our natural mind, right? Revelation and understanding and wisdom and all these things come after we've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, after we have God living inside of us. He begins to reveal, he gives us understanding of what we're reading. Because before that, it's just, you know, if you've ever taught somebody a Bible study that's really kind of got the, the scales on their eyes like Paul did, they'll sit there and shake their head yes and go, yeah, uh-huh, but it's not getting in their spirit. They're not getting it because they, they haven't, we, we got to pray sometimes that God will do like, like he did with Paul and remove those scales so that they can see clearly, so that their ears can hear clearly and understand. And that, that scripture is actually found in first Corinthians chapter two, verse 14. It says, but the natural man governed by the soul or natural fallen instinct of man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness. What does that mean? Foolishness. It doesn't make any sense to our human mind. It's foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So when we receive the Holy Ghost, he gave us ears to hear. He that hath ear, ears to hear, let him hear. He that has spiritual ears, let him hear. Not with, not the physical words that are being said, but what, what is God saying to you? He talks to each one of us. We just aren't listening sometimes, spiritually. And we got a bunch of other stuff entering in our into our ears and our mind that's distracting us. That's not of God. So we got to use that filter of the of the Word and of His Spirit to filter out the stuff that's unnecessary, so we can get the stuff that's necessary. James two and one says, "My brethren, have not faith." Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. In other words, with, that, with partiality, what that means. James 2 and 1 in the Amplified says, My brethren, pay no servile regard to people. In other words, show no prejudice or par- partiality. Do not attempt to hold the practice and practice the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, together with snobbery. Wow. Snobbery. Whew. We don't have that problem today, do we? We hold ourselves up in our own mind as important and special, but we look down our noses at others to make determinations about them that God maybe hasn't made. Is that a good definition of that? He sees them through the lens of his own predestinated plan and purpose for them. Thank God that he saw what I was going to be when he saved me and not what I was when he was saving me. And he didn't make a determination to not save me based on what I was at the time. But he looked beyond my faults he saw my need and he saw what I was going to be. That's what when the Bible talks about predestination, it doesn't mean that it's not saying that, well, there are certain people that are going to be predestinated to be saved and other ones are just out of luck. Sorry. It's not what that means. He's predestined every soul to be saved. It's a matter of whether we find that destiny and step into that onto that timeline, if you will. Right. First Timothy 5:21 says, "I charge thee therefore before I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things which without preferring one before another doing nothing by partiality." God was kind of emphasizing that, wasn't he? He, he seemed to. There seem to be, in my estimation, if I'm reading all this, if, if God's bringing this up, then there, had, there must have been a problem with this. You think? James 2 and 9 in the Amplified says, But if you show servile regard, prejudice, favoritism, for people, you commit sin and are rebuked and convicted by the law as violators and offenders. Wow. Partiality was a problem. Don't forget what Matthew 25 said about those that, when Jesus said, when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was in prison, when I was naked, and you didn't take care of me, what did he say? Whatever you didn't do, to the very least of these, my brethren, you didn't do it to me. And the the end of that group was not good. Go ye into everlasting darkness, prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't want to go to a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels and not prepared for me. It's prepared for them, not us. I don't want to go there, do you? Praise God. James chapter 2, verse 10 through 12 is uh, falls under that, that uh Number four, their partial obedience. We were just talking about respect of persons, okay? Who decides who gets to be saved? Before I go on to this, only one. God. Who else decides who gets to be saved? You, 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 you. We make that decision. I'm going to get up out of this pew. I'm going to let go my white knuckles off of the back, the pew in front of me. And I'm going to walk down to that altar and I'm going to receive the Holy Ghost. I don't understand it. I don't know what it means. I'm scared about it. It's new. I've never experienced it. I've never had all I've ever known is religious experiences in a, in a, in a religion that's just empty. And I know people that. That literally did that. They literally had to tell themselves to let go of the chair in front of them because they were hold the only reason they weren't leaving their seat was because they were holding on to that chair in hopes that they wouldn't let go. Because they were being drawn by God and they were fighting it tooth and nail. And one of those people I know that was doing that, that that was doing that was told me that is a missionary today. He fought it. He resisted it. And then when it happened, he said, if that was real, do it again. The next time I'm in this building, if that was real, do that again. And just, just guess what God did. He did it again, just like he did. And so we, we fight and we wrestle. But God's the only one that can decide who can be saved. And what did he say in his, in his word? He said, it's to who? Who is, it? who is this to? To whomsoever will, let him come. To the wells of salvation. Let him come. It's free. Right? Freely you have received. Now freely give. Don't keep it to yourself. It's not just for you. Thank God that God didn't get to that God got to decide I got to be saved, and the person that was looking down their nose at me and judging me before I got saved wasn't the decider of that, because I'd be lost today. It was that way, and some of us would be lost that way. No, nobody was doing that. Yeah, they might have been, right? They don't look like they would fit into our group here. We don't do that, do we? James 2:10 through 12 says for whosoever shall keep observe and obey the whole law, we're talking about partial obedience here. And yet offend or stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Pretty good principle, isn't it? For he said, he that said do not commit adultery, that would be God, right? Said also, do not kill. Now, if if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Once again, remember Matthew 25. So in context, what is he saying here? He's really referring back to verses 1 through 9. Let's go to Matthew, or excuse me, James chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. Let's just read that. My brethren, have not faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and a goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and then and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say to him, Sit thou here in the good place, and Say to the poor, man, stand in the back by the door there and sit here under my footstool. And I saved you a place right under my footstool here. Are you not then partial in yourselves? Are you making yourself a judge and are you become judges of evil thoughts? That's evil thoughts to think stuff like that. That's what I read. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Where have we read that before? What's that from? Isn't that one of the commandments? I think it is. You do well. Verse 9. But if you have respect of persons, what does that say? What? You commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And then we read this. For whosoever shall keep or observe or obey the whole law and yet offend or stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. James is reminding the believers to be careful not to fall into this trap and this attitude of judging people. Is he not? Whose name do they curse when they judge that individual? Who were we made in the image of? The guy that's laying in the gutter this morning that got drunk last night because the badgers won that can't even I know y'all don't care if the Badgers won, but does that guy, does he deserve salvation? Was he made in the image of God? Was the guy that's sitting in jail down here that that might be going to prison next week because they're finally getting down to passing the final judgment on him, does he deserve salvation? Was he made in the image of God? What about that prostitute? Were they made in the image of God? If we are truly loving our neighbors ourselves, we won't get caught in this trap. In this, this scripture that we just read calls it a sin. So, if you offend in that one, are you guilty of the whole thing? It's like one person said, it's like a a, a seamless piece of cloth that that's not been sewed together with another one. That's what the whole law is. So, if you offend in one, it's like ripping that. One piece of cloth, now you've ruined the piece of cloth. So you can't, you can't just pick and choose what that's saying to me. The religious people loved the chief seats. Didn't the Bible say that? And they loved the flowing robes. They loved the special greetings in the marketplace. I'm just paraphrasing what that scripture says. Didn't, didn't it say that? They loved their status. They loved being the important religious people. And they also loved lording that over the poor people and the ones that weren't like them, didn't they? The underlings, if you want to call them that. They lorded their Judaism and their religious traditions over all the people. Everybody knew who they were when they walked through the crowd, didn't they? And James, again, was reminding them, those that were carrying the church forward, to be 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 wary of that. Ananias, you know, here's the church being persecuted by Paul, and God speaks to Ananias and says, "Hey, Ananias," he says, "Here I am, Lord." He says, "I need you to go do something for me. You got it, whatever it is. Go talk to Paul." Excuse me. Let me. Let me get a Q-tip. Go talk to Paul. No, 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 God, you don't understand. You know who you're telling me to go talk to? Yep. I'm sending you to talk to Paul to tell him what things he must suffer for my namesake. I'm going to use him. Y'all were praying for me to take him out, and I'm I'm going to put lift him up. Right? Be careful what you pray. Right, that's what I take from that. Because God might answer a different way than you expected. And so Ananias fell into that trap, didn't he? Oh God, he's not—he's not—he's not not a good candidate to be one of us. Isn't that what he was saying? (laughs) He he didn't say that in the scripture, but it's kind of there, right? Well, why? Why him, God? I thought we were praying to get rid of him. Right? We don't want him. He had no idea what he was saying. The disciples, when Jesus Christ was walking on the earth, they're walking down the road one day and there's this guy, blind, blind Bartimaeus, sitting on the side of the road, that day Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on. And they're like, shut up. You're, you're disrupting the master. Go over there and shut that guy up. And what did Jesus do? He said, get him and bring him here to me. What was, why did he do that? What was he telling them? Be careful how you judge people because that's a soul to me. And he brought him over there and he healed him. Or how about that woman at the well? When Jesus sent his disciples away to to Walmart to get some bread and he knew she was coming and he was ministering to her. And here they come back and they're looking at him like, why is he talking to her? You ever said anything like that out loud or to yourself? And the emphasis on the word her, why is he talking to her like that versus a person, right? That's what they were thinking. She's not Jewish. She's, a matter of fact, she's a Samaritan. You know. That's how they felt. Uh, don't talk to anybody, Jesus. Just don't talk to her. Right. And they fell into that same trap. And Jesus, in his own way, kind of rebuked them about that. And because of that one soul that whole town was infected right so we don't know what god's doing we don't know how he's doing we don't know who he's going to use so we got to be careful who we judge in our mind cuz god you might not say it out loud but god knows what you're thinking the devil can't read your mind but god sure can so we got to be careful How we, how we do these things. Matthew 22 verse 35 through 40 says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, an expert in the Mosaic law, I added that, because that's what a lawyer was, not like a lawyer like we think of. They were, they were doctors of the law. They, they were supposed to be the ones that knew the whole Mosaic. They knew it forward, backward, inside and out, and they knew the law. Asked him a question, tempting him, Or putting him to the test, right? That's what they were doing. They were trying to catch Jesus in something so that they could get rid of him. So here's another one. Trying to tempt him. Because he didn't think Jesus knew the Mosaic Law. (laughs) He didn't realize Jesus wrote the Mosaic Law. He did? He sure did. He was God, wasn't he? I think he wrote it. He probably knew it better than this doctor. And so he says, Master, what is the great commandment in, in the law? And he's he's probably thinking, I got him. Right? Because these guys, these religious guys didn't just spout that they were they thought, Oh, this'll 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 get him. We'll get him on this one, right? And after a while doing that, and he he answered everything they ever asked him, you think they'd learn. But they didn't. And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love, thou shalt agapeo, the Lord God, thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first great commandment. There's not just one, Jesus said, there's two. Right? (laughs) And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. What's the heart? The heart is the seat, as the seat of the desires, feelings, affections, passions, and impulses. That's your emotions. That's your heart is is who you are. All of like I just read, the seat of your desires, your feelings, your your affections, your passions, your impulses, everything that that you are today. So you've got to love your the Lord your God with all of that, all of your impulses, all of your affections, all of your passions, all of your desires, all of your feelings. Gotta come in line with if you're connected as a branch to a vine, where do you get all those things anyway? They're from Him. Because you're created in His image. So it's all of those things are who He is. He just put it in you with all your soul or with all your substance, everything about you, with all your mind, your understanding, your intellect, your intellectual faculties, your thoughts. I mean, this is pretty much encompassing everything, isn't it? This was his answer to this doctor of the law. You want to know what the greatest commandment is? What is he saying to this guy? You're not doing any of this. You're in here trying to catch me at something. Here's what you need to do. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And then he he really gets in with this next one because this is one of those, you know, the the doctors of the law in that day were probably some of the wealthiest people. And they were the the most well-dressed, just like most attorneys are today, right? And so they stood out in the crowd. And so they... They, everybody said, ooh, here comes a lawyer, here comes one of those guys. Oh, look, you can tell they stick out, they, they wear the bright colored clothes and all that stuff, right? And so Jesus, and they were the same ones that he talked about that looked down on the poor and looked down on the less fortunate, looked down on the underlings, right? Anybody ever felt like you've been looked down on? You can feel that when somebody's, If you're the person that's doing the looking down on, people can feel that, right? They know. They can feel it. Even if they don't have the Holy Ghost, they can feel that. They sense that. They pick that up. Just like little kids, they can tell when an adult's not serious. And when an adult, you know, they can tell the difference. I don't know how they do it, but they can tell. And Jesus said, the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor As thyself. And there's that one story in the Bible about the guy that came and and asked Jesus, so who's my neighbor? (laughs) what did Jesus say? (laughs) I'm glad you asked that. And then what did he do? He told him a story about what? The Good Samaritan. At the end of that story, he said, now, who was neighbor to the man? And the guy had to answer. (laughs) It was obvious. The Samaritan, he hated to say that word out loud. They hated the Samaritans. He hated to even say it, but he had to answer. So what did he tell him? Go and do thou likewise. Yeah, like Brother Terry just went, oh, man, why why did I even ask that question? (laughs) I should have stayed on today. Right? Because Jesus got him. Since, but he's like, Jesus is merciful. Okay, I'll answer your question. Now, there's your answer. Go, you, you go and do likewise. Oh man. Me? You mean me? Yes. And on these two commandments, he told him, hang. All the Law and the Prophets, everything about God is suspended or hanging from those two things. Because if you're doing the first one, right, if you're loving the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind, now, just to me, it makes sense. Isn't the second one going to automatically just happen? If everything you're doing, everything you're thinking, everything you're Every part of your life is focused on how can I please Jesus today? How can I make my life more like his today? If you're focused on all that, if you're trying to be like Jesus, you're not going to be judging people in your mind. You're going to be loving your neighbor as yourself. Right? Or is that just me? Does that make sense? So, we, you know, we're, we're good at quoting the word, but are we living it? Right? And that's what these religious guys were. They were, they knew the law, but they didn't live it. And all Jesus was doing was saying, you guys are great and you guys, and he loved them too. He loved those religious guys. He wanted them saved too. And some of them were. The very guy that buried Jesus was one of them. And he was probably pals with the other guy that came to him in John chapter 3. Where he told him, yeah, you must be born again. And so there were some of them that he was getting through to. Right? How was he doing it? He was practicing those very same things that he was telling them they needed to do. Because what Jesus went about doing good to everybody that he came in contact with, and he especially on purpose went to the, the people that the Jews did not want to go hang around with. Because they were always judging him for what? Look, there he goes again hanging out with the publicans and sinners. Isn't that what they said? That's what they said. Yep, there they go again, eating with unwashing hands. They're out in the cornfield picking corn on, on the, the day of the rest. You know, I mean, they were constantly looking for a reason and they were so focused on trying to get Jesus that they were missing the whole point of the law. And all, he was, he wasn't trying to condemn them. He was trying to get them saved. He was trying to get them to see who he was and the importance of doing what, doing what the law said, not just running around spouting it and quoting it all day long. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. So we practical religion. We've got to put this thing into practice. You're a minister. Everybody in this room that. And that's listening online, you're a minister. If you've been saved and and filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name, you've been given a ministry. And it's not sitting on a pew. It's not our ministry. Right? It's about expanding God's kingdom. And they went from house to house breaking bread and having fellowship with all the people, didn't they? And the Lord kept adding to the church such as should be saved. And that's what they were doing in James day. James was saying, I'm getting ready to step off the scene. You guys need to carry on. And what did they have to look forward to? They, here's the guy that was, that was, that probably had something to do with starting this work. And he's getting ready to go have his head chopped off or whatever for preaching the gospel. And he's encouraging them, keep going because you too, one day can have your head chopped off for preaching the gospel. That's a true disciple. I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday, and I just never looked at this this way. But he said the difference between a convert and a disciple is a convert, when things get tough, they'll take it, turn tail and run. But a disciple will stick it out no matter what. Now, I don't know about you, I want I want to make disciples. I don't want to make converts. Right? And that's what our job is. Discipling people. You know, I get to work with that guy that I ran into at Walmart that I work at the VA with that lives in Sparta. I get to see him every day. And now there's a there's a new connection there. And who knows where that's going to go. But I want to make sure that I'm doing what this book says. I want to make sure that I am loving the Lord with all my my heart, soul, mind, and that I'm loving my neighbors myself because I don't know what God's going to do. But Jesus said there were in one place He knew what He was going to do, and Jesus knows what He's going to do today before we ever, before our alarm clock ever goes off, we ever get out of bed. He already knows what He's going to do today. Just I just want to like, like, like getting on the interstate. I just want to get on the interstate and get in His lane, and get behind him, get behind one of those semis where you can just kind of draft and let your foot off the gas, and it just kind of pulls you along. Anybody ever done that? That's right. Be careful doing that. But I want to get behind Jesus and I want to draft off of him and see what what are you doing today and, and just get me in your lane and, and drop me off at the exit I need to get off of so I can do what I need to do. Amen? Father, we thank you for your good word today. We thank you for your kindness, your love, and your mercy, Lord, that you would go uh, minister mightily to our pastor, through our pastor as he prepares to come and minister to us, Lord. And help us to keep our mind focused on you as we go on this break. In Jesus' name.